what was happening down in northern Florida. And I was in revival in Louisville and Kentucky, and they happened to be having one of these Brownsville revival meetings at the Civic Center in downtown Louisville. And we had an off night of that revival, and that Sunday night, saints were coming to church and saying, man, we drove by the Civic Center. They were carrying people out, slain in the Spirit, and, and they were drunk in the Holy Ghost. And some of them stopped a few minutes to see what was going on, and they were real excited about what happened. And so Pastor and I said, hey, we got Monday night off. Let's just go to Revival and sit there and see what's going on and be a part, and maybe something's happened that we can be a part of. I'll never forget sitting in this huge civic auditorium. must have been a couple of thousand in the place and great expectations for a move of God but we were sitting there and we realized these people didn't know how to do spiritual warfare because the day before they had come in and surprised the enemy there wasn't an expectation of that type of move of God but the night after that kind of move they didn't know what to do. In fact, they actually said from the pulpit, we're sorry that it's not happening here tonight. This happens with us sometimes that we have a dud service. We don't know why. And Pastor and I were sitting there like, we know why. Because when the enemy comes in, then like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against. But people have to know how to fight. Said all that to say this, I thank God for your maturity and your anointing and your focus to come on a Monday night and declare we're going to get a hold of God. Great services yesterday, extra service last night, but let's get a hold of God today. And the enemy will not steal from us because you know how to fight, how to do battle, how to war in the Spirit. Very thankful for you and your leadership, and I do have the privilege to introduce the anointed speaker for tonight. Back in 1966, on February the 8th, there was some missionary, Presbyterian missionaries, that had gone to Mexico. And this individual named Bass was teaching Greek in Spanish to the nationals there in Mexico. And that's the day that my wife-to-be was born. They kept her close to the TV as she was being babysitted by different uh, maids that they were able to hire because, you know, a few pesos would do that back in the day. And she was in what we used to call a playpen. I don't think they even let them things operate anymore. They're not politically correct. But her first words were, na-na-na-na, Batman. Botman, sorry, she had the Spanish, Spanish on it there. And for the next 15 years, nothing much significant happened in her life till she met me. <laughs> Just kidding. At 15 years of age, her parents understand good Christian people. Her parents got divorced. And it pulled the carpet out from under her life. And she began to search. God led her to a place where she received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues. A good girl, good Christian girl all her life. 
But God had much more for her. Was it long after that she moved to Atlanta to go to school? And that's where we met when she was 15, 16. I was the same age or so that in the youth group at that church in Atlanta is where we first met. Neither one of us can remember the first time we met. It's like we were always part of the youth group together. Can't remember the first time we spoke to each other, just like we were always there in the youth group. But it wasn't long until we realized that it was, it was a good thing that God had put us together. And so 35 years ago, May 30th, 1988, we said, I do. And we did. Lois is very much a, uh, her love language is words of affirmation. So you can fill her love tank up after service if you want. And her ministry, probably her dominant ministry is a ministry of helps. Which means she is uh, very capable. And by the way, that's one of her favorite words. If you say she's capable, that's, that's the best word that she could hear. And she's very capable at filling the need, any need that is in place. She steps in and does an excellent job. That's what helps does. And while some might think that that's, a, you know, kind of a backseat ministry, it's what the Bible says the Holy Ghost is. Because the word paraclete, which is the Holy Ghost, comes alongside and makes up the difference. It's a ministry of help. So I'm married to the Holy Ghost. have mercy and uh, you know we have uh, worked together raising four children and one of her greatest heartbeats is her children and her grandbabies eight now that God has blessed us with the youngest one is two weeks old and so leaving them to come here is a sacrifice for her and she's glad to do the ministry of Christ and now we no longer really know when she writes a book or ministers, did, did you come up with that or me? Because it just kind of doves tails together. And we're so thankful for the ministry that God has called us to. So, Sister Luscious, come on up here. place is just going to confirm to you what you're already doing. What The Word's going to confirm what the Spirit's already been doing. That's what I'm trying to say. God has laid a word on my heart tonight, um, and I'm excited to share it with you. I really am. I give honor to my sweet husband. Isn't he the best at words? He's awesome. But his, his love language is not words, so I, I could stand up here and give him all day long and be like, oh. But I am very thankful. I'm thankful that God put us together and the, the times that we get to share and be together. And we truly are uh, one. We truly are. It's, um, 
good life. I'm thankful for it. I give honor to the Sabolchis, our friends. My goodness, we love them. They're just precious people. We look forward to this. We love you. We love this church, all of our friends. And I won't start naming names because I'll get in trouble. But uh, we love you all. We really do. It's a blessing to be with you. Tonight, I want to speak to you about the weight of glory. The weight of glory. Glory is a many-spoked wheel. There's lots of divisions, lots of things connected to glory. So I'm, I'm just barely scratching the surface here, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. And we're going to take our text from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment. And it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. You can be seated. Glory is one of those words that um, is kind of hard to define. It's hard to put into words something that exceeds our ability to put it into words. (laughs) You know, it's just like it's uh, one of those things. The Old Testament uh, word for glory properly means weight, but only figuratively in a good sense. It's not uh, bad in any way. It's splendor, copiousness, abundance, full, magnificence, grandeur. The New Testament word is similar, but has a slightly different meaning. It just kind of means uh, that it's very apparent, that it, that it fills the, the atmosphere. It fills a space. That's what glory, the definitions of glory is. We felt the weight of that glory in this worship service tonight. 100% we did. Uh, his glory can be very apparent, but sometimes not so much. <laughs> When we're walking through a trial or a test, um, sometimes it's that the weight of that be- can become so heavy that um, the glory of God, the weight of that glory is not easily seen. I know it's there in my head, right? I know in my head. I know because this is truth and everything else is a lie that it's true, but sometimes it's hard to feel that. We have to consciously decide like we did in this place today that we're going to put our full focus. We're going to put the weight of glory. We're going to give weight to his glory. We're going to say this is what matters and this is what we're doing, which is exactly what we've been doing. We have to lay aside every other weight that so easily settles on us. Life is heavy circumstances can be troubling and hard to bear and make us weary to the point that we faint. But we have to consider what we're giving weight to throughout the day with our thoughts and our minds. Um, The scale that's here, if you took this scale and on one side let's label that side glory. So in that plate, that's holding glory. And in the other plate, let's call that life. If we measure the weight of our words, let's say we, let's take one day out of our life and we took every word that came out of our mouth and put it on this scale, how much of our words would, would, would be about our troubles? 
How much of our words would weigh down that scale about what we're going through and how we're struggling and all the, all the uh, things that we focus on when life gets tough? If we could weigh our thoughts, how, many of, how, how, how weighty would that be on the life side and how weighty would it be on the glory side? If we could measure even our actions, our, de- our decisions, which side would the scales tip t- towards? Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. The only way to make your circumstances and what you're going through heavier than his glory is to make that a false weight, is to manipulate the scales in a way that, that weighs, and that's a false balance. That's a false balance. The truth is that your afflictions are light. They're light compared to his glory. Not only that, but those afflictions are working for you. It's working in you. All things work together for good. Those afflictions are working for you. What we see is that we have to focus our eyes, our minds, our ears on the unseen. That's what the text said. Because the seen, what we're looking at, what the problems we're facing, the battles that we're going through, or what we can see with our eyes. But what's unseen is eternal. What's unseen is, is what we need to give weight to. But also, let me add to this, that you can also become weighed down with blessings to the place that you let the, 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 the way that you've been elevated or the way that you've been uh, blessed by God to outweigh his glory. You forget that it comes from him. And so you put so much weight on, on what God's done for you that you make that a false balance. Let's look at uh, Uzziah. Uzziah was a king, but it wasn't until he died that Isaiah saw the glory of God. There's a reason for that. So we're going to look at that. Uzziah was just 16 when he was appointed king over Judah. Who's 16 in the place? Raise your hand. Anybody here 16? (laughs) Wow, that's a good beard for a (laughs) 16-year-old. How about 15? 17? Somewhere close? Okay. So at this age, this guy became king. That's... Wow, that's a lot of weight on his shoulders. But the Bible said he reigned over the land of Judah for 52 years until he was 68, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says that as long as he sought God, the Lord caused him to prosper. He made war against the enemies of God, conquered them. He fortified Judah with gates and built towers and dug wells. Verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 26 says, And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So he's he's innovative. He's he's a he's blessed of God with with understanding. uh, What would that be? Physics, engineer. Thank you, engineer. Um, So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, verse 16, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. 
For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What, what in the world? His whole life, from a young man, he had served God, and God had given him victory, and God had shown him favor, and God had given him wisdom, and, he, and his renown, he was known. This one transgression is all the Bible mentions that he, he did wrong. This one thing. He didn't worship false gods like so many kings did. He didn't uh, allow the, the customs of other nations to come into the to Israel or to Judah. No, nope, it was just this one thing. He decided when he was strong and his heart was lifted up that he would choose how he wanted to worship God. He wasn't worshiping a false god. He was, he was still worshiping God, but he decided... No matter what God had said about it, he was going to do, it felt right to him. So he was going to do what felt right to him. And when the priest confronted him and said, wait, 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 this is, uh, this is not how it's done. This is, not, this is not the law. This is not what was taught to us. Instead of repenting, he got angry and God smote him with leprosy. Uzziah didn't become weighted down with the heaviness of life. He rose to every challenge to build God's kingdom, to serve the Lord, and equip the people. This shows me that it's entirely possible to allow the weight of blessings to tip the scales, just like it is with adversity. If we lose our focus on the unseen and begin to focus only on what's seen, we can tip those scales so that they're a false balance. We can throw the scales off by giving more weight to our own accomplishments our own sacrifices, our own roles that we fill even in his kingdom. And we can lose sight of the one who gave us that ability in the first place. I'm struck by the response of Uzziah to this obvious misstep. Um, when confronted with that error, he was so weighed down with himself. He was so full, if I can say it that way, so apparent. His self was so big that he couldn't hear the, the logic he couldn't hear the rebuke. He couldn't hear the truth of what the priests were telling him. You know, um, I think this is one of those fundamental things that we are facing constantly in this um, era, in this, in this world that we live in right now. It reminds me of Cain and Abel, right? Uh, Hebrews tells us that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. I just recently asked my granddaughter about this story, and, she's, <laughs> and she said what she had learned in Sunday school. She said, well, she's uh, eight, I think. She's eight. She said, well, Cain brought a, a limpy, uh, wilted piece of lettuce to the Lord, and Abel brought a beautiful, healthy lamb to the Lord. <laughs> and and, and obviously, the Lord loved Abel's better. So I, I, I had to do a quick little Bible study with her <laughs> and say, listen, the Bible doesn't say. There's no evidence pointing to the fact that Cain knew that he was supposed to bring an animal sacrifice. There, there's some conjecture, and I could see how you could get there. But there's also no thou shalt not, thou shalt. There was no... Um, understanding that that was necessarily wrong. This was Cain's job. There's also precedent for giving wheat offerings and vegetable offerings and things back to the Lord. I mean, so 
in my mind, I don't know that the offering that Cain brought was wrong necessarily, but the Lord said, no, I want something else to Cain. I want, I want you to bring a different sacrifice. Now Cain has a choice, just like Uzziah did. He's confronted with truth. He's confronted with what God wants, and he has to decide, am I going to do it God's way? Or am I going to do it my way because, you know, I'm embarrassed or I want what I want when I want it. You know, I'm so full of self. The Lord spoke to him and said, if you do not well, sin lies at the door. I don't think he was talking about the sacrifice so much as he was the choice that, that Cain had to make in that moment. If Uzziah had given weight to the voice of the priest and the word of God, he probably would have died a hero hero of the faith. Instead, he lived out his last days in shame in a leper colony. We have to look within ourselves and see that struggle. Are we going to do it God's way or are we going to do it what feels right to us? There's so many voices out there, especially on social media, telling us what's the right way and what's the wrong way. There's even good Christian people that say memes that are not true. We have to weigh everything that is said and everything we believe and everything that God asks of us through the lens of the Word of God. No matter what we are, we have to die to ourselves and live to this. When Moses asked to see God's glory, God made a curious statement, but it goes along with this in my mind. Um, Exodus thirty-three nineteen. The Lord said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And then he says this strange that seems kind of out of context. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I'm sorry, I'm reading from a different version, but you can see mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Doesn't that seem a little bit out of place? Like, I'm going to show you my glory, but, you know, but I'm going to show, I'm going to show compassion. I'm going to show mercy to who I want to. Um, it's the same principle. Paul speaks to the Romans when he's trying to show them that we're the clay. He's the potter. The clay doesn't tell the potter what to do and what to make. If we're going to see the glory of God, we have to die to that thing in us that wants to dictate how God's going to do things. He's going to have mercy on whom he's going to have mercy, and he's going to show compassion on whom he's going to show compassion. And you can't make God fair. You can't say, oh, well, since God's not fair, I won't serve him. If you do that, you miss out on every benefit that's in this word of God. So we have to settle that. That's a, that's a settling thing in us. God gets to decide. His word gets to decide. It never changes we don't, we don't take this Bible and say, oh, you know what? Mm, let's get an updated version of this. It is what it is, and it's truth. So a big part of seeing the glory of God is letting God be God. Let him decide if the master has need of it. What does it matter to me what it's for? If you weren't here last night, amazing. But... God, let that be my heartbeat. That is my heartbeat. If you have need of it, God, I don't care. I don't care how much it costs me. I don't care what you even use it for. If it looks to me like it's unfair, I don't care. <laughs> you get to be God. 
the last thing that God tells Moses about seeing his glory is that it will be in hindsight. And I know there's some theological understanding here that might be a little different, but what my take is, is that he said, you'll know after I have passed that my glorious presence was there. The glory of God in hindsight is no less the glory of God. There's so much about God that we see after the fact. The disciples, God spoke to them so many parables and so many understandings and so much wisdom, but they didn't understand most of it. They didn't understand a lot of it until John 12, 16 says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, when they put weight on his glory, on his magnificence, on his obviousness of who he is, then they remember that these things were written about him. It's only when we glorify God that we begin to remember who he is. We can come in weighted down. Circumstances, life. We can come into church. We can come into prayer at our, in our private prayer closets, weighted down with those things. But when we begin to glorify God, when we begin to let that glory have some weight, then we remember, oh, yeah, God's for me. God loves me. These things are working for my good. And we give weight to that glory. We have a just balance, not a false balance. And we do that by focusing on the things that are unseen. You can't look at the look around you. You can't look at your circumstance. You can't look at what you're going through. You can't look at the battle that you're facing and let that be heavier than what you see with in the spiritual, in the spirit, what you see in that is unseen. He's, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is our evidence. Faith is our vehicle to the unseen. It has substance, but not physically, and it originates from truth. It's more real. Faith is more real than reality. But only if we believe this, only if this is our guide, only if we allow God and we, and we say, if the master has need. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4 says, and I'm going to talk here about how you position yourself to see the glory of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Again, I'm reading a different version. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. Two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke this that's the glory that descended this was in the year that king Uzziah died when he died when that thing of self importance died when that thing of I'm gonna do it the way I want to do it died that's when the glory filled the house and the train that train is not like a choo-choo train, but the train of the, the, the victories that the king wore that were sewn into his royal garments. It was his victories, and the focus was on that. The focus was on that. Consider verse 3, that the, the 
seraphims around the throne saw the glory of God. But they didn't just see it fill in the temple, which is what the scripture says it did. They said it filled the whole earth. I believe that they saw the whole earth full of his glory because of their position of worship. That place where you give more weight to God and his achievements than to self. When they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of armies. Some of those battles that were sewn into that, the train of that king, Uzziah fought those battles. He, he was the conquering king. He was the one that had the victories. But the difference is your focus. They weren't focused on Uzziah. They were focused on the Lord because the Lord gave Uzziah the ability to have the victories. So the, their focus, that's what we've got to, to, to understand is there are times that we have to discipline ourselves, and I believe that, that you guys were doing that earlier in this service. I hope this is just confirmation for you that this is the way. This is the way to give weight to his glory is to focus, to let it, lay aside every other weight, put off everything else that you're going through, and let, let his glory fill the earth. It's when God is glorified that we remember. We see his glory. We remember he is our source. We remember how he fought our battles. We remember that eternity far outweighs whatever we're going through. Um, when we glorify God, we're allowing the weight of glory to tip the scale so that it's a just balance. It's my prayer. And I've, I, I have yet, I've been in uh, Pentecost been in many powerful services, um, but I've never seen the glory descend like it did in the Old Testament where the, with the cloud, I know that's happened, I just have not been a part of a service like that, but my hunger, my great desire is to see that. Um, more and more I understand, as I, maybe it's just because I'm getting old, I don't know, but more and more victory is so more internal than it is external. There are some times that God gives me victory over a battle inside, internally. My life circumstances aren't changed. The battle's still there. The, the, the heartache is still there. But I have victory. I have overcoming power inside. Because the unseen is what matters. The unseen is what matters. Circumstances don't, don't get to weigh down my life side of the scales. Heartache doesn't get to weigh me down because I have my eyes focused on the glory of God and on the unseen things of God. Amen. When we get into his glory, we are changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is... Uh, again, I knew that I was um, going to be preaching a lot of what my husband spoke on Sunday morning, but I'm okay with that because we're one. <laughs> Second Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we focus on His glory, we're changed. That's just the way it works. That's a supernatural thing. You can't, uh, you, um, you can't make a formula out of this. But, but God knows exactly 
how to change us, and it's a supernatural experience. One of my favorite things about the Holy Ghost, about um, being in his presence in a in corporate setting, is that when I begin to speak in tongues, when I begin to pray in tongues, there are so many personal hidden things that God is doing for me privately in this corporate setting that you have no idea. What, how beautiful is that, that God made it that way? That we can be all together and we can be worshiping God and speaking in tongues and he's doing something individually for each one of us. It's incredible. When I think of that song, Pastor, all my life you have been faithful. I can't help but relate it to this. Because all my life you have been faithful. This is how you give God's glory the proper weight that it deserves. It's not that every moment of your life was perfect or that every trial was easy, but no matter what, he's been faithful. And that's where you get to focus. That's where your focus lands. This is, y'all, this is amazing. My husband didn't read my notes. He had no idea I had added this to my notes, but I uh, was going to tell you part of my testimony, and I'm going to read it word for word because you're not going to believe it. I was born in Mexico City, Mexico. My parents were Presbyterian missionaries. <laughs> My dad taught Greek and Spanish. <laughs> I mean, almost word for word what he said. To the seminary students there. It had always been a joke in my family that dad had thought about naming me Glossy. Right? Who <laughs> said, oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Right? Oh, no. Um, but glossy, and the reason why is because the Greek word for tongues is glossolalia. Glossolalia. And now, now let me kind of go back here. I grew up with no knowledge of Pentecost. I grew up with no knowledge of um, speaking in tongues. This was, this was all very different for me. Um, when I grew up, I was taught that the book of Acts was a history book. And that we just read it, and that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And they had to do that so that the people could know that they were worshiping God, you know, because they were people there. From, that's what I was taught. So when Dad teased me that uh, he almost named me Glossy, in my mind I thought it was because, you know, he's teaching Greek in Spanish and he knows English. You know, I just thought it was tongues, like a different tongue, like you speak Spanish or you speak, you know. That's what I thought it was. Growing up my whole life, what I didn't know, that in the 60s, there were many Presbyterian missionaries that were traveling to different cultures, and many of them were speaking in tongues. Yeah. And so the church leadership had to decide what that meant. What was it? What was happening? And should we put a stop to it? And how to, you know, just how to handle it. So my dad did a deep dive into tongues, um, he has pages and pages of notes about this concept. And what he concluded, unfortunately, was that um, it was okay. There was nothing wrong with what they were doing. But it was not, he did not have the revelation that it was the spirit infilling. He just thought it was a gift, like other gifts. Um, and so we didn't, I didn't grow up with that understanding. But my point is this. I could look back on my life and say, well, you know what, God, it would have been uh, really more faithful of you if you'd have revealed to him what the Holy Ghost was, then I could have been raised in this. 
but you can't convince me that God was not already choosing my path and laying a foundation for me. Glossolalia. I mean, of all the words that dad could have threatened to, you know, name me. There's no doubt in my mind, all my life he's been faithful. All my life. And by the way, um, when my dad got older, and I, did I tell you all that already about my dad? Okay, I'll tell it again. <laughs> when my dad got older, he got a dementia disease, and um, he couldn't always um, communicate. He couldn't speak all the time. Sometimes he just moaned. But he was with my sister at her house, and uh, she, she was going to a Pentecostal church in Buford, Georgia. And my dad said to her, I mean, this is the first time he had spoken in months. He said, your, your pastor has a word for me. So my sister called Brother Copeland and said, uh, you have a word for my dad. <laughs> Can you come over? So Brother Copeland came over right away. And when he unfolded the word of God to my dad, he explained to him the difference in the Greek of the word gift. Of course, this was like, it just came right back to my dad because he knew Greek. Greek. The gift of the Holy Ghost is like a present you give at Christmas time. And the gift of tongues is like a gifting. It's a different word entirely. So when my dad saw that, he went to church that night. And when the altar call was given, he, they put him in a chair. He sat down in it and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> Speaking in other tongues. Beautiful. It took his whole life and he died shortly after that. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been faithful. Some of you have things in your past that have defined your walk, that have defined who you are, and you can look at those things, and you can find the weight of them. But if you can look at God's glory, that glory can outweigh everything because everything you've been through is working for you. It's working for you. To bring you to this place where you can be filled with his spirit. Amen. So what I want to do tonight, if everybody will stand, we're going to get back into that worship one more time. We're going we're gonna to bring our focus into things that are unseen and give weight to, to the glory of God. Give weight to what he's done for us. I want, it's my prayer, that everybody leaves here today with their burdens a little lighter with their recognizing that, that that's just a light affliction. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even matter in the weight of eternity. So if you'll come on down to the altar, if you can't get in the altar, just get as close as you can. But we're going to spend some time extending that worship that we had before, getting into that presence of God where we give Him glory, where we let the weight of his glory outweigh everything else that we're going through laying aside everything else that we are oh god